if you don't start taking action, if you're if you have never invested before, and if you don't take action and learn and get the momentum going and let the momentum carry you forward, you won't go far in real estate investing. Quick disclaimer: the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Hello, best ever listeners. Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Charlotte Dunsford. Charlotte is joining us from Atlanta, Georgia. She is in the private equity mobile home park space, and her portfolio consists of over $4 million worth of mobile home parks. Charlotte, thank you so much for joining us today. And how are you? Good. How are you? I'm wonderful. Charlotte, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yes. So my name is Charlotte Dunford. I am in mobile home park private equity investments. So like Ash mentioned, under our portfolio, we have currently 24 small to medium level mobile home parks with a total investor subscription of $4.7 million in our portfolio. So are in this, we, we call it a niche within a niche with mobile home park has been a long ignored asset class. And we are in the small to medium level mobile home parks, which is even a smaller niche within a niche. So we have strong belief in this niche as when I got started, I was looking into other assets to to get into, such as multifamily and other commercial properties. However, at the time when I started a couple of years ago, I just graduated college and I started a job for, for and then worked in corporate world for a year and a half. I did not have the experience needed to compete with the big boys in multifamily and other commercial properties. So mobile home park became a really good starting point with less competition, but more profit margin for investors like me to get into a space. And over the past year and a half, it grew to what it is today, the 24 lots. So really just took off from 2020 and 2019. So 24 lots in a year and a half is incredible. I've got a lot of questions. What is the private equity piece of this? So the private equity piece of this is our customers are investors. So we offer a preferred rate of return for each deal that we are in. So right now is 8% preferred return, and then there will be a waterfall structure. So 70-30, and then there's a next hurdle. Each hurdle is a four-point increase. So the next hurdle is 12%, and then it changes to 60-40, 60 being the investors, and then 40 being the sponsors, which is John's Group Capital, us, and then it jumps by another 4% at 16% return and then 50-50. So it stops there. Um, How did you get started in real estate? It's interesting because I came to the United States when I was 16 for high school and I did not come with anybody else. I came by myself and uh, my parents didn't come with me. So I pretty much just, just had to start everything from scratch. So I figured out 
pretty much the whole system and went to college. And then after working, I've always wanted to do real estate because where I came from in China, you actually cannot own real estate legally. You have to lease it from the government for 70 years and you have to give it back. So owning real estate has always been a dream, not come true now. So I think at my corporate job, I used my salary and pretty much defining as my first deal in single family and then moved on to a duplex shortly after. And then after which I felt, I think, desire to be an entrepreneur and somewhat, although limited, but some experience and education I got in real estate through just listening to podcasts and buying books and actually buying real estate helped me launch the new venture of a full-time real estate investor in mobile home park. And uh, I met my business partner around the same time, late in 2019. And then we started by mobile home parks. And then it, it got into one mobile home park, two, three, four, and then grow into what we have today, 24. So I have even more questions now. You had a corporate job for one year out of college. Why did you not like that? I liked the job. It's just that I had something else that I wanted to do more, which is uh, being an entrepreneur and create and really create a service for people to achieve financial freedom. And for me, our service primarily serves accredited investors to expand their assets and to grow their wealth. So I think that idea really appeals to me. So that's something I've always wanted to do. So my corporate job was great. I learned a lot from it, being a business analyst, uh, learning about data analytics. It really helps me today in my today's job in underwriting and sourcing deals. So I did not want to stay in a corporate job forever because it just was not providing fulfillment either financially or mentally or anything. Charlotte, your first mobile home park, was that purchased with your partner? No, not with my current business partner. So my first mobile home park was with other private investors that I worked with. And And you found the deal? Yeah, I always found the deals. Yeah. Okay, so you find the deals, you manage them as well? Yes, we manage all of them in the house. And why mobile home parks that are under 50 units? Because I'm a firm believer in escaping competition. One of my favorite books of all time is From Zero to One by Peter Thiel, a Silicon Valley investor. He is actually one of the most successful investors out of Silicon Valley. So he has a really good philosophy in escaping competition. And that's because to create more profit margin. So for me, I chose this niche because it avoids a lot of big boys from institutional funds to buy up really extremely competitive and heated markets and heated big lots. A lot of them are like a small city, big communities consisting of 300 lots, 400 lots, and even over 100 lots. Everybody's going after that. Everybody's going after this heated market, which makes small guys like us or small guys who want to get bigger, who want to monopolize a small niche and then expand our job extremely difficult and almost impossible to make a good profit margin if everybody's chasing after the same thing. Yeah, I love that philosophy and the same applies for multifamily, but it seems like there's just no niche in multifamily that's not highly sought after, you know, even under 40, 50 units. Exactly. That's because multifamily maybe is not a niche. (laughs) It's become a major market. Yeah. For mobile home park, it's different. So now when you dispose of these mobile home parks, 
does it make it more challenging because there's not that many players in that arena? No, actually, there are a lot of, of you're talking about exiting, right? So yeah, I've already sold one and in the process of selling another one, another two, actually, and then one of them will be closing soon. So no, I think the players, you probably wouldn't be, wouldn't want to sell it to institutional buyers because those people will probably want bigger ones. If they do buy it, they'll probably want a big portfolio. So that's another thing. You can group it and sell it together in a bigger package. And then I actually, it's not that challenging to sell it. It just, you have to find the right buyer and even the loan approving process. A lot of people think that there might be difficulties finding a loan to finance that the buyer, but we have sold a couple and both the times the loan have been approved with no issues. So it just depends on the buyer that day you're going after. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. Mark your calendars for the best ever conference, February 24th through 26th, back in person at the Gaylord Rockies Convention Center. Join the experienced community and phenomenal speakers for a weekend of learning the best commercial real estate strategies building relationships, and quite frankly, having a lot of fun. As a bonus, once you purchase your ticket, you are put into a mini mastermind group to start making connections with other commercial real estate investors immediately. You can get 15% off right now with the code BEC15 at besteverconference.com. That's the code BEC15 for 15% off at besteverconference.com. Do you have to use local lenders for this type of asset? Actually, all of our deals, uh, we've never used a lender on all of our 24 deals. It was very interesting. So we either buy cash because they're small, they're inexpensive, and we have a lot of private equity. That's our capital, right? Our capital. We have people subscribing to this deal. So most of them are cash or seller finance because in the world of small mobile home parks, it's a lot easier to get seller financing than let's say multifamily, right? Because a lot of banks, they don't really want to lend on a small to medium level mobile home park. They would rather lend on a same price single family home. That's like $400,000 single family home versus a $400,000 small to medium level mobile home park. Those single family homes are a lot less risky for the lender's perspective. So they don't want to lend on it. So that gives the buyers a lot of chances to get seller financing because sellers know it'll be difficult to get kind of traditional financing. But the landscaping is changing now because uh, lenders are getting more comfortable with this asset class and you're more likely to get some more loan, but you can still buy cash a seller finance. So all of our deals are either cash or seller finance. What percentage of the deal does a seller typically hold back in terms of seller financing? I think 
the best deals we've gotten, it varies from 30% to 50% down. And we've had one of our first deals, actually, we got 35% down and 3% interest rate, 30-year amortization and a 10-year balloon. So it's extremely attractive terms, really not bad terms, even for lending commercially. And Charlotte, what do you look for when you find a small mobile home park? There are a set of requirements and we have a proprietary algorithm in-house to determine the score of each deal to make sure that it passes the system. So the, some of the major things that we look for is, first of all, the ratio of a, sorry, I'm a little sick, so I can tell from my voice, tenant-owned homes versus park-owned homes. What that means is a tenant-owned home means the tenant owns the mobile home and they're just paying a parking lot fee to the park. That is the ideal situation. So a mobile home park is essentially a parking lot. You're running on dirt. You don't want to be owning the cars that park on your parking lot and be responsible for the maintenance and repairs. So we definitely want majority tenant-owned homes versus park-owned homes. There are exceptions to every rule, of course, and if they're park-owned homes, they have to be extremely newer model. So probably newer than 2000s, or if not newer than that. So that would be the number one priority because it really adds up to the expense ratio to the already high small to mobile home park expense ratio. And that's the number one thing. The number two is the utility structure. So we definitely want something public utility. There could be a private sewer, including septic tanks. That's probably the only thing that we can accept. Anything else will be a little bit too risky because for a parking lot, we're still responsible for infrastructure, maintenance, water pipes, the utilities. We want to make sure that they have long care in the common areas. You still have to maintain a lot of the common area maintenance. So you want to make sure those major infrastructure expenses do not cause big expenses because that would really bankrupt you. And what are some things that most market. people overlook that you don't? when you're doing due diligence or when you're looking to acquire a mobile home park? That's a good question. What have you learned over the years that a lot of people don't know? And now it's part of your scoring system. Right. That's a good question. I think a lot of people don't pay attention. This is very specific to mobile home parks industry is titles, mobile home titles. So Interesting because we've mistakes have been made and lessons have been learned in this. Most people don't know that in a closing, the title company doesn't check titles for mobile homes. And if you're buying park-owned homes, you really need to make sure, especially if the park-owned homes are a major component of the deal, you got to make sure that you're getting the titles of the mobile home to make sure that the, the seller actually has title to the mobile homes. And there are situations a lot of times when the seller does not own the homes and they're trying to sell you the asset they don't own. And a lot of time this falls through the cracks because the title company doesn't check for the titles of mobile home. They only check for the title for the real estate, which is the land underneath. And when they say the title is clear, if you're a first time buyer, you probably don't know to check the titles of the mobile homes themselves because they're counted as personal property. Make sure they're transferred through a bill of sale and in the PSA, and they have titles, and the seller has titles, and to properly transfer them to you. If not, you're going to encounter situations where there will be people claiming titles to the home and fight you on it, and the seller doesn't know what to do, title company doesn't know what to do, and you're in the pickle then. 
So that is an incredible piece of advice. And you're right. If you're buying a neighborhood of 30 single family homes, you're absolutely going to make sure that you have titles to all the homes, but I could see how that's overlooked with mobile home parks. So thank you for sharing that. For sure. Yeah. How do you find these deals, Charlotte? So over time, we've accumulated tons of channels to channel those deals to us. So we go on mobile home park store and we have broker relationships that send us those deals to emails and several different channels, off market, on market, broker relationships, and the sellers we have relationships with and who often, my voice is totally rag today. You um, sound great. Don't worry. <laughs> who often own several parks. So we maintain relationships with them to source other deals. So we make offers regularly to make sure that we were sourcing every deal that we have available and everything's for sale for the right price. So we want to make sure that we, if we see a good deal with good infrastructure, then we definitely put that in our database and we definitely keep track of that. Charlotte, earlier in this call, you mentioned a partner. How did that partner come into your business and what is their role? Yeah, it's interesting because I was posting on a real estate forum. It was asking a question on, are there any female investors here? So I just went on, I was 25 at the time. I was like young and female investor. They were asking, I said, well, here I am. So I'm one. And I just told my story of how I came to the United States when I was 16 and pretty much only with clothes on my back. And I became a US citizen this year. And in that post, I kind of elaborated on my experience. And I didn't do, really do much of my home park at the time, only one or two. And that really attracted a lot of interest. And that, including my business partner, sparked his interest. And he reached out to me and messaged me and say that, hey, I saw your post. That's interesting. Love to talk more. And that's when it started. We met, and then we pretty much hit it off. And I'm kind of the visionary on the team. He is the executor and operational person. So we're a good team. And we double our size in 2021. We have more team members on our team now. And Charlotte, in terms of partnerships, anybody looking to grow or scale their business, what's your advice? Should they take on partners or just take on more employees and staff? Well, I think you have to be careful who you do business with and you have to pick your partner carefully. Taking on a partner is not a light job and it's not a decision to be taken lightly because you're essentially driving a ship. You're picking another captain, co-pilot to fly a plane or drive the ship with you. So we've had experiences where business partners have not worked out and it really can sour the partnership. So I would suggest that partnerships are great. Just be extremely careful who you do business with. So if you're not sure, I would start with employees first and staff before joining a partnership or picking a partnership because that is a big decision that if you can't see yourself working with this person for 10 years and this person is not ethically reliable, you don't like his personality or something, it's very much like a marriage, don't do it. But if you see the right fit, go for it. Just be very, very careful in selecting them. Great advice. Charlotte, you self-manage all of these properties. How do you do that? So we manage them in-house, me and my partner, like a lot of people in mobile home parks, especially for small ones. You definitely want a team locally to watch over the property. So we collect the rent and we build invoices just like any other property management that would manage a single family home or a multifamily home, multifamily property. So we do that just like any other property manager. The only thing different we do is that we have a local watch per people 
either residents in the park to watch out for what's going on or local contractors to swing by and see what's going on for a small fee. One thing we don't do is that we don't give free rents for people to manage our property. So we don't think that's a good practice. We don't do that. We are getting the service. We're paying you for the service, but no one's getting free rent. So that's something that we don't do. We'll get back to the show in a few minutes, but first some sponsors I'm confident you'll get some value in learning more about. How are you doing on your goals this year, whether it's planning for your goals or whether it's executing on those goals? I imagine one of them has to do with financial freedom, taking control of your finances. And I can tell you that is a possibility with the next one to three years using a proven system created by my friend, Michael Blanc. He's got the program Deal Maker Mentoring. Here are some of his students who have been in the program and what they've accomplished. Melanie McDaniel, she closed her first 24-unit joint venture deal and is now pivoting to become full-time in the industry. Within five months of joining, Cheryl Groovy from Atlanta, she had a 34-unit deal under contract and she partnered with two other deal maker mentoring students, and together they raised $700,000. And Brian Briscoe, he said thanks to deal maker mentoring, he had the opportunity to accelerate his timeline and go after much bigger deals than he would have on his own. If you are ready to commit to achieving your dreams this year and you've been thinking about getting into multifamily, well, text the word Joe to 66866. Again, that's the word Joe. You know how to spell my name, right? J O E to 66866. Do it right now while it's fresh on your mind, and let's get you started with your own syndication business. Deals and money. We are constantly seeking deals and money as real estate investors, and I bet you're having a challenge right now, especially with deals, if you're like most real estate investors, because it's tough to find deals right now. But here's the thing. There's a competitive advantage out there that when implemented, it will help you accomplish your objective of getting more deals and or getting more investors. And that is having a great follow-up system. Having a great follow-up is one of the keys to success in real estate. And follow-up boss is the leading CRM for real estate. This is the system you need in place so you can reach out to owners and brokers directly for deals or you can follow up with your investors and you do it all in one spot. The CRM makes it 10 times faster to call and text owners, then integrates those into a software so nothing slips through the cracks. The follow-up boss conversion system and powerful management tools help align your methods and drive growth that otherwise it could have been missed and probably would have been missed. Go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever to get a system in place. And if you need help, they got you covered. Follow-up boss offers experts seven days a week. You can pick up the phone and speak to an actual human being anytime during business hours. Visit followupboss.com forward slash best ever to check out how much time you could save by streamlining your follow-up process. Best ever listeners, they're treating you extra special. You get an extended 30-day free trial, twice the length of the normal trial. For a limited time, go to followupboss.com forward slash best ever and perfect your follow-up. Help me understand that. I've got an office building where I have one tenant that does the common area cleaning, does the trash, snow removal, salts the sidewalks, and she gets free rent. Why is that not a good idea? Well, it's not a good idea for us. It's because rents in mobile home parks are pretty low to start with. And waiving that rent, we don't like starting this precedent of waiving someone's rent for service. We would rather hire the right help to get on board um, than 
someone claiming that they're not renting because that's one lot is gone because especially for small to medium level home parks it's not like those lots with 100 lots or something if you have 20 lots and one person is not paying that's a big chunk and that also means that this person is not going to pay future rent increases which is a big part of mobile home park because there's a lot of meat on the bone still left so one person not paying out of 20 lots, that's a big chunk of your profit margin gone. And it's just because it's small and it doesn't really make sense economically to have this person to do a little bit job, a small job for a big chunk of rent. It just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's a great point because I raised rents on the other office tenants, but the tenant that is not paying rent, I can't really go back and say, hey, I'm raising your rent. So from zero, we're going to 100. Exactly. Yeah. And for those who from zero to 250, we're going to work well with them. And it just, it's not a good tradition to start. <laughs> yeah. Charlotte, with multifamily, 50 units is a huge pain point because you can't have a full-time leasing person. You can't have a full-time maintenance person. What are your pain points with managing remote mobile home parks? And geographically, are these parks in different states, I would imagine? Yes, they are. They're uh, in 10 mm-hmm. different states. So what are your pain points in remotely managing these? Being remote is actually not that big of a pain point as long as you have a local maintenance team. I think the biggest pain point actually is not related to management, but to keep up with, we've onboarded a a compliance officer to make sure that we're compliant with each state's um, regulations and permitting and registration and foreign registration, all that good stuff. The biggest thing is that you want to make sure that you keep up with each state's requirement in registering your business because every state has a different requirement and that needs some digging in. And some states are easier to work with than the others. You need your business license. You need your mobile home park permit. You need to register with the tax department. You need to register with their department of revenue. And you need to go on their portal. You need to file annual reports depending on your business size and everything. So every single state has different requirements. So that's something you need really to keep up with. But I think as long as you have the right staffing and right infrastructure, in place that should help you with that. If somebody moves out of a mobile home, how do you remotely show that to a new tenant? Because mobile homes are owned by tenants for the most part, and we usually put in their leases to have first route of refusal for us. So we buy their home first. So once we buy it, we can arrange a sale, hire a local mobile home dealer or a realtor to sell it to a new tenant. So in that case, we don't really want to own the home. We just have a new owner of the home occupy the lot. They can pay the lot rent. So as far as arranging the sale, it will be someone trusted in the park or a local trusted team member, which is either a contractor or a a tenant or a realtor or a mobile home dealer that we have dealt with before to show the home. Um, We also have the lockbox and key. We also publish that either on the newspaper or online. So mobile home parks is really a different demographic. You have to really approach it differently. Yeah, I love that you have systems for everything. Charlotte, on the deals that you sold, what was the cash on cash return for your investors? So we're actually in the process of selling two. One is about to close, the other one haven't. So without the final closing, I can't say, 
But the one that I did sell, that was just my own personal asset. So it's not really a, so no investor involvement involved Got there. It. The ones that are in the process, I can't disclose that until everything has been said and done. Hey, Charlotte, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Great question. Best real estate invest, investing advice is, I think my advice would be taking action, ironically, because a lot of people have a lot of advice to say that be careful with this and that actual advice in managing a property with me. If you don't start taking action, if you're, if you have never invested before, and if you don't take action and learn and get the momentum going and let the momentum carry you forward, you won't go far in real estate investing. So I would really just say, learn a lot and take action. Charlotte, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, I think so. <laughs> All right. Well, let's do it. Charlotte, what's the best ever book you recently read? It's called The Ultimate Sales Machine. What was your big takeaway from that? Have systems for everything, policies and procedures. Train your staff with policies and procedures. And Charlotte, what's the best ever way you like to give back? That's a lightning round, huh? So I'm supposed to be fast. No, take your time. <laughs> give back through education mentoring. Okay. And Charlotte, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? You can reach me at our website at johnscreekcapital.com. And there is a contact form and then I usually respond pretty quickly. Charlotte, thank you for taking time out of your day today to share your story. Coming here from China at 16 years old, going to college, getting your corporate job, knowing there is more in store for you, getting a single family house, a duplex, and then entering into the mobile home space and absolutely crushing it. So I applaud you and thank you again for sharing your story. Thank you so much for having me again. I apologize for my sick voice, but normally sound like this. And thank you for listening. You sounded wonderful. Best ever listeners. Thank you so much for joining. Have a best ever day.